Hello and welcome back to Heartbeat of the District, the official student-run podcast of Santa Clarita Valley's William S. Hart Union School District. I'm Izzy Calvin Tribble. And I'm Aaron Quevedo. And uh, today we're talking to uh, Mr. Jim Klipfell, a teacher from Saugus who is recognized as both an L.A. County and California Teacher of the Year this last fall. Make sure to stick around. Mr. Klipfell, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure to be with both of you. Yeah, um, obviously we're a little bit late in recognizing you for these awards and everything, but but it's always interesting to hear, especially as a freshman, it's hard to hear about things like this that go on in my own school, much less, you know, hearing about them from, you know, Saugus and places I don't even attend. So I'm definitely glad to have you on. Well, it's my honor. It's been quite a ride, about 30 years with the Hart District, and I've worked at several of the schools and being nominated by my own staff, my colleagues, and then representing the district onto the county and state level. It's the highest honor of my professional career. And in the end, I'm here to serve students and their families. And if this type of honor brings a smile to my colleagues, my students, and prestige to the district, then again, it, it makes me very pleased and I'm excited to represent such a great valley. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we get started here, um, do you just kind of want to give your background in terms of, you know, what route your educational career has taken, how you said you ended up teaching out here in Santa Clarita? Sure. My father and mother were kids of the, the Great War era. They, my father served in World War II and my mom was Rosie the Riveter at home. And they were the classic post-war parents. I was the youngest of eight kids and education wow. was really pushed on us. And then being the youngest, it was kind of survival of the fittest growing up. And I don't think I've ever met anyone who says, you know, I had too many role models or growing up was too easy. And it occurred to me that you can get a natural eye off helping someone you know, get through hard times as they grow up. And so fairly early on in my teens, I realized that I wanted to be involved with helping young people both deal with the maturation process, but also getting a formal education. And I was lucky enough to be in California, coming from Omaha, Nebraska, and going to the universities out here. I did some time at UC Davis. I studied overseas and then did my graduate work at UCI and spent about eight years studying Spanish and history courses too at UCLA. And I just am, am very wow. happy for students here that you guys get a chance to pursue that. And I was hired in the Hart District and I've just had a great professional career serving locals. That's awesome. You said you studied overseas. Where was that? Yeah, I spent my junior year of my undergraduate work at the University of Stirling in Scotland. Awesome. Yeah. And how was well, that experience? I would encourage every young person to make sure you travel. Travel is a form of education. And whether it's you know visiting family or just taking an extended trip and living cheaply if you can, it's a great way to make yourself more cosmopolitan. Uh, you come back to the United States appreciating some things and questioning others. And it just makes you wiser and smarter and, and more appreciative. So I would highly encourage young people to make room in their youth for some travel. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and again, before we get too deep into everything, what uh, subjects do you teach? What grade levels at Saugus? Sure. So my degrees are in government and history, and I've taught everything from 7th through 12th grade in the social studies curriculum. I also have a credential in English, and I've dabbled in that, and I've coached swimming since 1988. So I've also taught swimming and PE, wow. as well as a, a number of clubs. I've run ASB programs. I've taught journalism for 10 years and just about anything I can get my hands on to work with kids and inspire them and get them out of their comfort zone. 
really charges my batteries. Yeah, it's incredible. You you have a very broad, you know, kind of knowledge base in what you've done. Uh, yeah. It's incredible that you can like teach all of that. You've worked in like every area, it seems. So obviously receiving all this recognition hasn't been for nothing. So what do you think sets your teaching style apart from the norm when it comes to earning these awards? Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that that I stick out. There's just so many amazing colleagues that I have both at Saugus and in the Hart District. You know, I, I'm surrounded by just heroic and inspiring and talented people. And I've risen on the shoulders of giants. You know, there's a lot of people who have mentored me and gotten me to where I am. Uh, I guess I'll give you a few concepts that, you know, I, I don't know if they're unique to me. One is I, I would say I quickly learned that you need to be yourself and that teachers and coaches, advisors to young people who aren't themselves, yeah, they're phonies and, and kids pick up on that. And there's a certain level of comfort and confidence that comes with that. And I found my niche by being genuine. I also think it's critical to be a teacher, a coach, advisor, who just is passionate about what they do. Someone who craves Mondays, not Fridays. Someone who sees problems with students as opportunities rather than, hey, how come you guys aren't all perfect? You know, helping students deal with the struggles of formal education and growing up is the natural high of working with kids. I also think it's critical for teachers to constantly pursue improvement. There's a, a great Japanese term called Kaizen that is like this feverish dedication to doing better. And anyone who works with kids needs to have that attitude. Constantly find ways to improve your instruction, your way to connect with young people, etc. And that comes with a humility too, to admit that, hey, whatever I'm doing right now, I could do better. However, I'm serving you, I could do better. Something I did early in my first or second year was have students evaluate me. And I still have all of those. And each summer I look them over and, and I review you know, the comments from that year's students and athletes. And I, I spent a day or two really trying to figure out, hey, what are some things I could change and make better? And that's less important as you get closer to 30 or 40 years of working with young people because you've gotten so much feedback and you've really made some changes. But, you know, perhaps those things have, have combined to make me a better teacher, a better colleague, someone who's, you know, aggressive about being their best, but also humble enough to know that nobody does this alone. Absolutely. Yeah. What you're saying about, you know, student evaluations and stuff, that does take a lot of humility and that mindset of, I recognize that I need to continually be getting better. That's definitely something unique because that drive and that desire for teaching young people, I've heard that echoed in basically every teacher administrator that I've been able to talk to. But the continually seeking feedback and getting better, even you know having done this for as long as you have, that's, I think, something that's unique. Yeah, and if I can just jump in, I kind of want to put the words I'm trying to think together. So hopefully this makes sense. Um, it's very inspirational kind of that you went from seeing people be role models in your life and you decided that that's what you wanted to do. And I think that that's incredible because you managed to shape that kind of in your life. And I think that's amazing. I think it's important to note that if you talk to any adult, every one of them is going to have one or two or three people that left footprints on their youth and really left an impression that hey, someone out there cares, someone out there motivated me to turn right instead of left, make this choice instead of that, to keep on pushing instead of giving up. And at some point, I decided you know, there's, there's a shortage of that. There's never a surplus. And like I said before, there's a natural high 
off getting that email from a kid 10 years later that says, you're the one who, who shaped me this way, or it could be as soon as, you know, tomorrow. But generally speaking, teachers are in the business of farming. We plant seeds, you know, we fertilize, we water, we weed, and you're not always there to pick the fruit. So that's another thing I would say to younger educators is be patient. Don't expect the immediate gratification of success. You may be teaching, you know, being prompt or manners or math or computers or whatever. Don't expect instant success or, you know, that that your efforts have changed that life at the moment. You got to be patient. That's definitely really interesting that you're not always there to, you know, reap what you sow. Yeah, for sure. That's really good. There's a lot of, I'm already hearing, you know, in my editing brain, I'm already hearing great sound bites for um, <laughs> different things. That, and you can never have too many role models. That one, that one stuck out immediately. Yeah. So uh, kind of going back to the recognition and everything, what qualifies someone to be, you know, teacher of the year? What kind of things are they looking for, you know, from like a, I, I don't know if, Objective is the right word because obviously there's people making decisions. But um, yeah, and, and how are you uh, nominated? The short answer is I have no idea how each person makes the decision. But my guess is people want an ambassador for the profession, an ambassador that represents their staff, their school, their district, their community. And in this case, California, they want someone who is comfortable with themselves, someone who knows they're not you know, perfect, that it made mistakes, but wants to rise up. Someone who really craves the latest research and knowledge on the profession. I often say that coaching and teaching are flipped. Teachers should teach like a coach coaches. In other words, a high jump coach in track, they'll do whatever it takes to get the worst athlete over that bar. And they don't take no for an answer and they're not checking off. Well, you got an F here and an F there and we'll average that to a D. The bottom line is you keep working with that person till they've mastered it, till they've gotten to their potential. And I think that you're looking for teachers that do that. And so perhaps an ambassador, someone who unconditionally loves kids, but also won't lower the bar. That's the one thing I tell my students and athletes that I will not do for them. I'll pay for your AP test. I'll buy you a bus pass. I'll give you half my sandwich at lunch, but I will never lower the bar for you. You know, if I know you can do something, I'm going to do everything I can to get you over it, but I'm not going to turn away from you. And I think it's our job to push kids beyond their comfort zone. So perhaps people are looking for an ambassador that loves kids. I call it the pom-pom side of teaching. And then there's the expectation side of I'll make you work hard to your potential. And I call that the bullwhip side. In my classroom, I have a toy bullwhip and pom-pom on the wall. And, And those are the two symbols. And so perhaps my staff over the years saw hey, there's a colleague who we don't mind representing us. So the process starts every year at the local level. So each school staff nominates somebody, the Mm -hmm. staff then, or they nominate a group of people, the staff then votes. The winner of each site is sent to the district. And then the district chooses who they want to represent them that, that year. The districts throughout LA County, which is huge, then chooses, I think their top five or 15, I forget what it is, And then they nominate five on, I think, to the state level. And so, you know, at that point, you're talking about people in the state finals. I think there were 12 or 15 of us in the final runnings for those interviews. You're talking about Mm -hmm. 400,000 California teachers, you know. So to represent them, it comes down to being an ambassador. And, And along the way, there's a series of interviews and class observations and a ton of essays. They're really trying to get to know who you are. 
and that's on top of letters of recommendation and things like that. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a long eight month process that I had no idea. Wow. You know how you don't start the process off thinking, you know, we're going to the end of this. Yeah, that's crazy. That's very in-depth. And it's got to be a huge honor to, you know, know that there's such a wide pool of obviously teachers in California that you were nominated. I think if you were to kind of condense it down simply to what you were saying earlier about, you know, what people were perhaps looking for is just going above and beyond as a teacher. I know the teachers that have you know, really impacted my life personally have been the ones that, that have that attitude of, okay, I'm going to work with you until you get better. Even if you're not great, you know, coaches that have done that just in general, all those different facets that you were talking about really do leave an impression on people, even, you know, 10 years down the road, like you were saying, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's, again, really amazing that you have that kind of perspective on teaching, because I know that many teachers do, but that's something that it's just very, like, admirable that you can think of teaching like that and go forward with it like that. So, yeah. Do you have any unique stories from your educational career that you'd like to share? Well, there's the stories on the micro level where, you know, I could tell you about Billy or Susie or this particular colleague. And then there's the macro level, you know, sort of from the 30,000 feet. I think the biggest overall story to share with you is the relationships that, you know, I've worked with a number of superintendents, probably eight or nine uh, principals hundreds of fellow teachers and thousands of students and their parents and the relationships and experiences that I've got out of that really is what what has filled my soul from this experience. You know, it could be a kid in ROTC who invited me to be a keynote speaker uh, because I inspired him or her in some way. And so I find myself at Edwards Air Force Base some Friday night, you know, talking to a room full of 500 cadets and their families and stuff. It could be a student that I had 10 years ago or who swam for me, who invited me to his or her wedding. So those are things that happen sort of on a monthly or six monthly basis where it's just shocking, you know, like, wow, I I actually touched this person in a way where they want me to continue being in their lives. But then there's the day-to-day stuff. I think a lot of great teachers are coaches, advisors, things like that. So, for example, I run the uh, Habitat for Humanity Club at Saugus and getting kids off campus on a Saturday to build homes for the families of veterans. And you're covered in paint or you're covered in concrete or you're covered in drywall. The idea that you get to see kids off campus and have them learn life skills and, and feel the joy of giving back. It's also the experience of team teaching. Many of the years I've been a, a teacher, I've had the privilege of team teaching and getting to form special relationships with other teachers, but also then a more familial, intimate relationship with a lot of the students. So I guess it comes down to there are thousands and thousands of small stories, but the big one is people that really get to connect with people. I like to say we're not in the teaching business, the swimming business, the ASB business. We're in the people business. And as soon as you start at that point, you can start having all these other amazing experiences. And then you discover so-and-so in your second period class is homeless. So-and-so in your third period class, their mom has cancer. And that empathy and relationship allows you to move forward and connect with kids in a way where you can you know, it motivate them to do their best because in the end, nobody does more than the minimum unless they choose to. So a great, inspiring teacher, coach, parent has to be someone who inspires young people to go beyond the minimum. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. That relationship basis and then moving forward from that and, you know, teaching and coaching, not just, you know, the subject matter or the sport that's involved, but, you know, life skills along the way is definitely, again, one of the main through lines I've heard from talking to a bunch of, uh, you know, teachers like yourself over the last year. Now, if you want a, a specific anecdote that jumps out about two yeah. or three years ago, I had a really interesting student, young man. And some students, you know, they don't speak much. So you really don't know what's going on in their brains because the one downside of teaching if kids don't actively share their thoughts is there's no bubble above their head, like in a cartoon telling you what they're thinking. And at Saugus, it's like this at some of the other schools, we have shorter periods on Wednesdays to late start. And so there's shorter periods and there's teacher meetings and stuff. And this kid came up to me after class on Wednesday, which I think is like 35 minutes. And he said, Clipfell, your class makes me hate Wednesdays. He said, the bell rings too soon. And that he just hates coming into my class Wednesdays because he feels like it gets cut off and he wants to stay. And it's just a simple story like that, that you just, the rest of your week, you're like, I'm doing something here. So there's a smaller anecdote for you. That's awesome. Definitely. I felt the same way about teachers and classes where I'm, as opposed to looking at the clock, like, oh, when can I get out of here? Counting down the minutes, like, no, no, go backwards. I want to stay here. And and that's a successful day. And hopefully the average teacher should aspire to that. You know, I I call it I or I-R-E. Every lesson should be interesting, relevant, and engaging. And we need to do our best as educators to Mm. make sure of that so that you guys get caught up in this sort of zone or what what some people call flow where time stops and you're so into what you're doing, whether it's a rigorous workout or a great lecture or just fun time with your friends where you can't believe five hours or 45 minutes just went by. Mm. And I think teachers really should aspire to create an environment where you can't believe time has flown by. Yeah. I've heard it stated like, you know, you want to be that teacher that your class is the reason I went to school today is um, how an admin had put it before. That's got to be super encouraging to hear that from students. It is. And those sort of remarks really recharge batteries. And it's good to tell students that too, that, hey, you know, respectfully and politely tell us, meaning educators, when we can better serve you. You know, you don't need to start a blog and bash and ruin someone's career for your first move. Mm -hmm. You know, you can start with a polite conversation. And on the flip side, you know, a nice genuine compliment when it's earned. Notice that I said genuine and earned. I'm not someone who believes in um, meaningless, you know, platitudes and praise. It should be genuine. But uh, that's a way to recharge batteries. And it's also a way to guide teachers to get better because, you know, I think a principal's primary job is to hire great people. And he or she really needs to do the background checks, really needs to check on what their experiences were, and then follow them that first year or two, make sure you're observing them a lot. The second thing I think principals really need to do is lift everyone on campus, you know, make sure everyone hits their potential. And then lastly, I'll be polite. I think the third big job of a principal is to career change. That's a nice way of saying, you know, show people the door if they can't grow. You know, that doesn't mean 30 people on a staff of 100, but it might mean one or two. And teaching's not for everybody. And you can politely convince people that, Maybe there's a more rewarding life for you out there and, and the students might benefit from that as well. So I love career changes. That's just about the most polite way you could have put that. But it's fair. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um yeah, I think you have a very, you know, down to earth 
view on teaching. And, you know, there's not a lot of teachers that will, at least in my experience, that are actively looking for student feedback and are coming at teaching with such a place of humility. I don't know if I disagree with you, but it does concern me. I think that everyone should have the ability to have that Kaizen approach of uh, there's always room to improve and students are our clients. And if you folks have suggestions, we should at the very least be open to them. And I'll tell you, what, as I, you know, written teacher evaluations for, from my students each summer, there was a lot of feedback in there that over the years, because I've tried it or I've seen it or just for other obvious reasons, it's not a good recommendation, but that doesn't mean I'm not open to hearing it. But then there are many other suggestions they come up with, whether it's, you know, new technological approaches or, hey, this really worked, make sure you keep using it because if you don't hear that, you may phase that out and try something else. So I, I definitely think that teachers need to be a little more humble and administrators and teachers need to remember it's your education and we need to be open to um, making sure we serve you well. Is there any specific uh, teacher evaluation over the years or any, any one specific note that you've gotten that really kind of stuck with you? Well, I mean, I've been doing it so long now that, and, and I'm fortunate, <laughs> I'm really grateful that I get I don't know, four or five each year. So my form is just a one-page form with eight or 10 real detailed questions. And I, I really have to beat the answers out of the kids in the sense that, you know, it's easy just to throw in the trash, but I, I asked them yeah. to do it. And then they put it in a, an envelope that I seal until grades are in. And they can put their name on it or not. And then they usually take their final exam. So you really have to beg them to do it. Say, hey, this is so how I get better. Because it's easy to, you know, mm -hmm. to phone it in. And then on the back, I say, if you want, write me a letter. Just make it more casual or more specific or add things from the front that I maybe didn't include in the survey. And usually each summer, there's five, six of those that are shocking admissions of, hey, you really changed my life this year. Keep doing this. I'm so grateful. And then there's usually one or two where, you know, it just didn't click. And hopefully I can learn from a few of those things. And, and sometimes it's just not a match. You know, you hope, especially in high school and junior high, where you might have five, six, seven, eight different teachers and coaches, you hope that four or five of those really click with the student. And I think it's important for teachers to realize while well, you want to try and connect with everyone, you know, personalities are such, backgrounds are such that, you know, you may not be everyone's favorite and that's not the game I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm there to get mm -hmm. the, hopefully the respect uh, for challenging young people to grow outside their comfort zone. Yeah, that's definitely important. And that Kaizen mindset of, you know, continually being better, that's not just a teacher thing. That's not just, right. you know, um, of course, like even, you know, uh, personally with the, with the podcast and everything, I've talked about this a couple of times, but, you know, figuring out, okay, we've had a, a pretty good launch year this year and, you know, rolling into year two with the Heart to Heart podcast now, okay, now how can we get better? How can, you know, next season for football, how can I get better? Continually pushing yourself and accepting feedback and not like closing yourself off to it and not becoming offended when someone has an idea, you know, a suggestion and, and criticism isn't supposed to be negative. Criticism can simply mean here's praise, here's suggestions yeah. and everybody's got to be tough enough to deal with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So as we, we can kind of wrap this up here, do you have any, you know, just words of advice, words of positivity generally is what we, what we kind of like to end it out with sure. for, you know, Heart District, families, faculty. Yeah, I would say to my peers, especially younger educators or young people like yourselves who might go into education or serving young people in some capacity, 
I said earlier, be yourself, but also have fun. You know, I start most of my days, you know, yelling out my classroom that it's time to learn or something like that. You know, get the blood going. If you're not having fun and making self-deprecating jokes about yourself or telling anecdotes and challenging kids and being at a level where, you know, in every class, there's a few kids that you've formed a relationship with. There's some joking around. You're not going to succeed. You're not going to enjoy coming to work every Monday. And that's something to focus on having fun. The other thing I would add to that is expertise. You got to know your subject. You got to put your time into whether you're coaching football or, or building houses or playing an instrument or, or teaching. You have to be constantly, you know, educating yourself because students, young people, they can smell you out immediately if you're a fake. And the last thing they want to do is come into a room, a classroom, an arena, and, you know, be disappointed with who's leading them. They want to be inspired. And unless the teacher's having fun and an expert or trying to be an expert, they're not going to have much respect for you. I've already mentioned things like being in the people business and humility and the importance of growing. We said Kaizen. I would also say to remind educators, treat the disease, not the symptom. So Aaron or Izzy, if you come into my class late one morning, you know, I can yell at you and say this, that, or the other, or I can say, Hey, you know, see me at lunch. Let's talk about what's going on. And then, you know, you say to me, Hey, my mom's got cancer. So I got to take my little brother to Placerita in the morning. So I'm going to be late to your class. And then I'm going to, you know, tell you, Hey, look, this isn't about the tardy now. It's about the fact you didn't communicate with me. You need to communicate. That's how you're going to save your marriage. It's going to be how you save your job with your boss. You can't just show up late. So I'm not upset with you, Aaron, or Izzy, that you're tardy. I'm disappointed that you didn't share with me this incredible service you're doing for your family. So lesson here is communicate. Uh, People cut you slack. And guess what? I'm fine with you being late. But I want to also know some updates on your mom as she's getting chemo or whatever. So now I'm treating the disease. The disease is you've got something going on at home. And the symptom is you're tardy. And so I use that example just to make the point that, you know, you don't want to go after the behavior. You want to go after the cause of that. And that could be the student that's not doing well academically, the student who can't socially mix, the athlete who wants to quit. It doesn't matter what it is. And of course, it's with adults, too. It's with ourselves. So I'm not talking down to young people here. It's the ultimate challenge. Nobody wants to be judged at their worst. And it could well be that when we do things that are not ideal, it's because of other, shall I say, the analogy here of the disease. Last thing I'll add to that, you know, I mentioned earlier, Crave Mondays. We only have so much time. And, Mm, you know, the average student, you guys have like 22, 2300 days in school. Don't waste one of those. Teachers should understand that when a student comes into a room and there's a substitute, the first knee-jerk reaction is yes. But then instantly you realize that like part of your soul just died because that hour has just been lost as, you know, in some cases you're wasting your time doing a word search or something. And that's just not what we want. We want to make sure that everybody's excited, both teachers, students. And, you know, on the flip side, looking backwards, you know, you guys have about 2,300 days in school. But you have about 500,000 hours to live going forward. The average freshman in high school in the United States, don't waste any of that. And it's important for teachers and role models to model that too. That, hey, uh, okay, schedule a little bit of time with your favorite video game or Netflix show. But that shouldn't usurp, you know, 24 of your hours of your weekend. And we need to strive to get the most out of what education offers and become the best people we can to serve each other in this business. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, any one of those are, are again, my sound bite mind is going, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's really awesome. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is my pleasure. And I want to tell you, I'm real impressed with the fact that this is student run. It's really inspiring that you folks and whatever the program is over at Heart is, is doing this. And, you know, whether there's two viewers or thousands of viewers, you don't have to change everyone. You just have to change one person. So you guys, Absolutely. I'm really proud of what you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. If I were to draw up the, you know, this is the ideal teacher guest for the podcast, I would basically list out your attributes. So thank you for coming on, Izzy, if you want to lead us out here. So thank you for listening to this episode of Heartbeat of the District, which has been produced entirely by Heart District students. Follow us on Instagram at Heartbeat of the District and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned every other Friday for more content focused on the students, staff, and stories that make up the heartbeat of our school district.